Thank you for listening to this message from Lifehouse Church. Yeah, it's just one big happy family, right? Well, good morning, Lifehouse. Uh, for those of you who may not know me, my name is Andrew Manable. I have the privilege of being the student ministries pastor here along with my lovely wife, Alicia, and our little girl. <laughs> yes, she is lovely. <laughs> But yeah, so we love you guys that I get the great privilege this morning of continuing our series called One Big Happy Family. And this morning we're going to look at the all too common, all too familiar dysfunction of siblings, sibling dysfunction. How many anybody in the house is one who has siblings? All right, majority have siblings. Okay. How many of you would say by show of hands that you got along with your siblings 100% of the time? Nobody? Okay, all right, all right. Now you're a little more serious. How many of us would say that we've had serious dysfunction with our families, with our kids, with our, with our, our siblings? Yeah. Well, I am one of five siblings, and my younger brother and I were really close going up, and we got along 100% of the time. Yeah, right, I'm lying to you. <laughs> no, we fought and tussled and wrestled like most brothers do, but I remember very clearly one summer whenever we were kids, we were in our, our pool at the time when we were pretty little kids, and uh, he asked me to pass him this rubber shark that, he, that we had in the pool. And it was hard, and it was perfect for throwing size, <laughs> all right? And he said, hey, can you pass this to me? And I did what any self-respecting older brother would do, and I threw that thing at his face as hard as I possibly could. It hit him square in the chin, cut him open, blood everywhere. Needless to say, mom was not real happy about what I did. <laughs> But this morning, we're going to get a chance to look at a family in the Bible, a father and two brothers that have some serious dysfunction, and along with their dysfunction, they got some bad attitudes. But before we dig into the Word this morning, I have a quote I want to share with you from world-renowned pastor and teacher and author Chuck Swindoll. It is the, I believe, one of the best quotes on attitude, and it's a great reminder for us on the importance and the guys are going to put the quote up on the screen as well. It says, uh, Chuck Swindoll says, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than whatever other, than whatever other people say, uh, uh, think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make, a, make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is that we have a choice every day regarding the attitude that we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. And we cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string that we have, and that's our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. It's all about attitudes. This morning, if you have your Bibles with you, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 15? We're going to be starting in verse 11. But before we start turning, I'm going to pray over the reading of God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would give us hearts to receive, minds to comprehend, and, and give us uh, 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 the strength to uh, uh, power through this morning and to be able to uh, read and understand your word, God. I pray that you just be with us this morning in your name. Amen. All right, Luke 15, 11, Jesus says, to, uh, it says, to illustrate this point further, Jesus told them this story. Well, we don't know if this story that Jesus is about to tell is based on real life or is fictional. 
And I'm sure that for somebody somewhere in the world that this is their story. But maybe Jesus was telling this story just to get, uh, get the point across, to get the spiritual truth across as to what he was saying. And to set the stage a little bit, Jesus is preaching to a crowd of people like he often did, mainly sinners and tax collectors, with a few Pharisees sprinkled in. Jesus continues, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want, to sh- I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And a few days later, the, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. And about that time, his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding, the pigs, looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. As a parent, I can't imagine what the father was feeling. That betrayal and that hurt would have been immense from the son saying, you're basically dead to me. In traditional Middle Eastern culture, to ask for the inheritance while the father was still in good health would be to say that the son was anxious for his father to die. In fact, what the son was saying would have been deemed foolish and unreasonable in any culture. It would have brought about shame to himself and to his family for even making that request. Any father, of course, would have been required, would have been expected to deny this foolish request. Instead, however, the father in his story doesn't. He grants the request. This unbelievably unselfish action elevates this father figure in the story to beyond what a human father could possibly do. And it reshapes the father into a really good metaphor for God. The father is different from a human father. His love and compassion for his son knows no limits. And this request, from, uh, this request for this earlier inheritance brings nothing but strain and trouble into a relationship between father and son. And it only got made worse by the son selling off that inheritance to go live wildly in a foreign land. This younger brother, this younger son, full of pride, full of arrogance, and a bad attitude on life, heads out into the world. Perhaps on his own for the first time. We don't know. But perhaps on his own for the first time. But he quickly finds himself without money, without friends who were probably only hanging around for the money in the first place. And he has no way of providing for himself. And he ends up wishing that he could just eat what the pigs are eating. What an awful place to be. What an awful place to find yourself in. But it's important for us to realize that it was his attitude that got him there. Let's pick back up at verse 17. It says, When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. This young man remembered what it was like at home before he left. He remembered what it was like before his bad attitude moved him into a place of dysfunction. He remembered what it was like to be in a functional relationship with his father. 
We don't know for sure because the text doesn't tell us. But perhaps he had fond memories of sitting around the dinner table with his family, eating a warm home-cooked meal. Or maybe he even had fond memories of working in the fields with his dad. He had a good frame of reference for how life could and should be. And he realized it was his, that it was his attitude that separated him from where he was, how it used to be, and how it is now. He realized that it was his attitude that got him there. This time of year, the time around Thanksgiving, a lot causes a lot of us to remember the holidays at home as a kid growing up. And I always remember our family tradition. My family, my extended family, we had to do our Thanksgiving meal in a small little white country church that had a fellowship hall attached to it because our extended family was too big to fit into one house. I remember the smells waking up on, on Thanksgiving morning, smelling the turkey and the sides. And oh, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I'm excited for Thanksgiving. <laughs> Love Thanksgiving. But I remember going and playing in the creek down in front of the church and the sounds and, and my brother and I getting in trouble for getting our, thanks, our nice clothes dirty in the creek. But uh, I look back and I have those fond memories of a functional relationship with my family. That's what it's like with our Heavenly Father. The more time we spend with Him and the closer and more functional, the more time we spend with Him, the, more clo- the closer and the more functional we get. That means that we have to be in the Word. We have to be in the Bible daily, taking intentional time to pray and spend time with Him. The more we do that, the more the Holy Spirit will bring to our memory the things that God has brought us through. Or maybe He'll bring to our memory the the lessons we learned in Sunday school as kids. Or bring to our memory the verses that our grandmother or mother shared with us. Jesus says in John 14, 26, But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. The Holy Spirit will remind us of what that functional relationship with, with God looks like. Or maybe you're sitting there and you're looking back at your life and your memories and you're thinking about your Thanksgiving growing up and it sounds nothing like that. You have no fond memories You have nothing but pain. You remember nothing but pain, abuse, and tension with your earthly father. Regardless of what your relationship is with your earthly father, your heavenly father wants that functional relationship with you. And you can have that by walking with him daily. In order to get close to someone, you must spend time with them. If I want to work on having a great and functional relationship with my wife, We have to spend time together, no questions asked, daily. It's the same with our Heavenly Father. If we want to be able to look back and remember that functional relationship, we have to have that functional relationship. The relationship can be nurtured through prayer along with daily reading the scriptures and meditating on it. No matter where we find ourselves, no matter how bad our choices were, No matter how bad our attitude is, God wants to bring us back into that place of functionality with him. Even though the prodigal son, even though this younger son had found himself deep in the pig pen because of choices that he made, because of his attitude, he got there. He was able to ditch his bad attitude. He left his bad attitude in the pig pen. 
because he remembered what it was like to be in a functional relationship with his father. And he desired that relationship again. Verse 20 continues. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. The younger brother finally comes to his senses. He finally comes to his senses and he comes home. And he is accepted back home into the wide open arms of the father. And I just love the image of the son running to the father and the father running to his son and embracing him because he thought he was gone forever. He thought he was dead. Had no idea where he was at. But the lost son has come home and there is restoration and celebration in the family. There should be peace and nothing but pleasant and great attitudes all the way around, right? The whole household should be rejoicing because the lost brother has returned. Oh, but not everyone's so thrilled, are they? The older brother gets home from work, and he brings a bad attitude with him. We see this bad attitude in verse 25. But while the older son was in the fields working, when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fatted calf. And we are celebrating because of his safe return. But the older brother was angry and would not go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all of these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back, after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed with me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Often when we read this story, I think we kind of gloss over the older brother as a an unnecessary or irrelevant side character. But this morning, I want to look at his attitude in contrast with the father. See, both the father and the older brother were betrayed, were hurt, were, were abandoned by this, by this younger son. But man, how they responded is drastically different. The father responded with love and compassion and mercy. But the older brother with selfishness and a bad attitude. The father's reaction allowed there to be restoration between him and his youngest son, but the older brother refused. He stayed in that place of dysfunction by his own choosing. The only thing keeping the older brother out of the party was his bad attitude. Nobody was forcing him out there. Nobody said, hey, don't come in. 
It was his own attitude, his own choices that caused him to be outside of the party. Sometimes the only thing keeping us in dysfunction is our attitude. The older brother doesn't join in on the party with the rest of the family. He stands on the outside. He chooses to maintain this bad attitude. He had every opportunity to join in. But he chooses his bad attitude. He chooses to stay outside. He had a right and a privilege to participate in this party, to be a part of what was going on. But he chooses not to do so. He was stuck looking in the past. He was stuck looking at at what his brother had done, how he wasted his inheritance on wild living, how he told their father that he was basically dead to them. And his attitude turned into bitterness. And that angered him, and I get that. I'd be angry too if my brother abandoned me. But that bitterness took hold. His father came to him and pleaded to him. Even in his bad attitude, the father pleaded with him to come in. But he refused. And unlike his brother, who started with a bad attitude, and then came to his senses, the older brother knew better. He knew what it was like in that functional relationship. He was living in that functional relationship. But the only thing keeping him out of that functionality with his family was his attitude. It wasn't his circumstances. It wasn't what had been done to him. The only thing keeping him in that place, keeping him outside, was his attitude. In 1937, architect Frank Lloyd Wright built a house for industrialist Hibbert Johnson. One rainy evening, Johnson was entertaining distinguished guests for dinner when the roof began to leak. The water seeped through directly above Johnson himself, dripping steadily onto his bald head. I, funny. <laughs> Irate, he called Wright in Arizona and said, Frank, he said, you built a beautiful house, and for me, we enjoy it very much. But I've told you the roof leaks, and right now I'm with some friends and distinguished guests, and it is leaking right on top of my head. Wright's reply was heard by all of the guests. He said, well, Hib, why don't you just move your chair? (laughs) Hibbert Johnson, like the older brother, was stuck in an attitude that caused them their own dysfunction. Hib could have just moved the chair and not get rained on, but he was stuck in an attitude that caused him to just sit there. The older brother could have just joined the party, but his, his bad attitude about his brother caused him to stay away. It caused him to, to not be part of it. But this morning, I want us to think and look at how often are we like the older brother? How often do we let our bad attitudes keep us in a place of dysfunction? Are we sitting outside of the party not for anything because of our own dysfunction? Are we not talking to our friends and our family because of a bad attitude that we have? Are we holding grudges about things from years ago because of a bad attitude that we have? The father pleads with the oldest son and begs him to join in the celebration. The father is celebrating the return of his lost son. But it's important to note here, the rest of the inheritance belongs to the older brother. 
Everything that the father had remaining belonged to the oldest son. He had no reason to have this bad attitude. He had this, this reward coming to him. And we don't often talk about it in churches, but there is reward for us as believers when we get to heaven. When we, sit, uh, when we stand before God in judgment day, there will be, we will have reward for what we have done on this earth, for what we have accomplished. There's reward for that. The father in this story is reminding his son of that reward, saying, don't throw away what you have because of your attitude. God doesn't want us to stay in this place of dysfunction. He wants us to remember our reward and live with a good attitude. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 12 too, do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. That's an attitude change. Don't let our attitudes be like the world's. May we not let our attitude be the only thing keeping us in dysfunction. Zach and praise team, if you guys would come. In closing, this story really has, really shows two brothers with two drastic attitude shifts. We see the younger brother who starts with a bad attitude. He starts out, in a place of dysfunction, but then he remembers what it was like at home, what it was like living in that functionality with his family, living in that functionality with his father. He made things right. He came back home and he rejoined his family. He moved from dysfunction into function. The older brother, on the other hand, knew that functionality. He lived there. He dwelt in that functional relationship. But he let his bad attitude take him away from that. The only thing keeping us, the only thing keeping him in his dysfunction was his attitude. So my big question to you this morning is which brother are you? Are you the prodigal out on your own wandering the streets. Maybe you ended up in a pig pen yourself. Come home to the Father. Remember what it's like to live in that functional relationship. Or maybe you've never been in that functional relationship with God. You don't know what it's like to live in that functional relationship with God. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. And all you need to do to get right with God, to get in that functional relationship, is admit that you've sinned. And recognize and realize that Jesus died for those sins and that he was raised again. And that he is sitting on the right hand of God the Father. All you have to do is accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior of your life and you can have that right relationship with God. Maybe you're like the older brother. And you've seen those around you, maybe those even in your family, choose dysfunction time and time again. Maybe they stayed in their dysfunction, or maybe they came home and tried to make things right. But in the process of dealing with that and dealing with them, you got a bad attitude about it. Today, you can ask God to help your attitude. 
Don't let your bad attitude being the only thing that keeps you in dysfunction. Don't let it take that reward away from you. Don't give in to that bad attitude. Don't let your attitude be the only thing that's keeping you in dysfunction. There is reward in that functional relationship with the Father. Return to that right relationship. It's all about our attitude. I'm going to close in prayer this morning. If you would all please stand. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning, God. God, I pray for all those in the house this morning. God, I pray for those that may not know you. God, I pray that they would return, they would come to you for the first time ever, Lord. That they would have for the first time that functional relationship with you, Father. God, I pray for all of, all of us that know you, Lord. I pray for our attitudes, God. God, give us an attitude check. God, help us to see the reward that is waiting for us and to not allow our bad attitudes to take that away from us. Heavenly Father, I pray for those prodigals out there. God, I pray you'd help them to return to you. Wherever they may be, God. Wherever they may be in our families, God, I pray that you would bring them home. Lord, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this message from Lifehouse Church. We pray that you were impacted powerfully by this message. If you've been personally affected by our ministry and you would like to partner with us as we love God, love people every day, visit our website at www.lifehousecog.com.